Hi, I'm Amy Porter, and this is my podcast. My mission is to show people how to empower themselves through music, business, and media. I try to see as clearly as possible how I can help. I showcase the music that I've played and the people I've met along the way. I'm a wife and a stepmom. You might know me as a professor, a performer, a producer, a publisher, a recording artist. I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. Welcome in to my Porter Flute Pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. Today I'm able to bring you the players behind the movies and Broadway and someone who backs Justin Hayward from the Moody Blues. They'll share their stories and their advice. And the one true fact of this career path, you have to be a musician's musician. Thank you, Justine Sedke and Alan J. Tomasetti for guiding me along my path. And you'll meet an incredible Michigan alum and some incredible flute friends. There's nothing from the vault today because we have so much to talk about. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. I'm so happy you're here. Michigan alum Carmen Gould is a flutist with a love for blending styles and for the musically unexpected. Her YouTube series, But on the Flute, features famous rock guitar solos, but played on the flute. She's currently working on a collection of tracks titled Somewhere in Between, featuring original flute played over solo guitar tracks from prominent guitarists, including Mike Dawes, Tracy Bundy, and Tim Kobza. Tracks are available for streaming and download on Spotify, Pandora, Apple and iTunes, and various sites. Carmen plays flute and sings background vocals for Justin Hayward of the Moody Blues on tours and recordings. Combining her classical training from the University of Michigan and Indiana University with a career performing and recording in rock, pop, and jazz genres, it's shaped her views as a musician. Inspired by these experiences, the instinct to create is driving this period in her life. I'm so happy to welcome to Porterflute Pod, Michigan alum, Carmen Gould. Carmen Gould, welcome to Porterflute Pod. <laughs> Hi, thanks. I'm so glad that you're here because I want to dispel some myths, but I also want to confess that if I had a nickel for every time someone said, I want to play in a rock band, or I want to play in a movie, or I want to play on Broadway and think that it's just so easy. Now, oftentimes we go down a path and then the path shifts, whether we like it or not. And we're doing what we're meant to do instead of what we thought we were going to do. So perhaps that's our conversation today as well. But I'll start with asking you, did you envision yourself in a in a crossover experience like you're in right now? Because you were trained as a classical flutist, were you not? Let's hear about your history. <laughs> I was trained as a classical flutist. And that's a really good question. I you know, 2020 is clear looking back and it, and it seems um, 
obvious looking back that there were all the things in place to kind of lead to where I am now. Um, but I didn't quite understand it on the way. It's just always been an interest. And, and if I were to talk to my younger self, I would say, uh, hey, pay attention to those things that just, you know, light you up and make you happy and that you just do it for fun as a musician. And, uh, and it's been really those things that light me up combined with all the training that has kind of made this where I'm at now. I look back and I, I laugh because I spent uh, quite a bit of time in high school playing in, in church bands. And that was where there's there's no music and there's a, a lead singer. And my job was to make up a flute part, make it sound pretty, either be a solo, so like solo lines or uh, background, and then sing harmony um, when I'm not playing flute and back up the, the lead melody singer. And I, I never thought that was a big deal. I just kind of did that for fun. And <laughs> and um, that wasn't, you know, my, my serious training or anything. And yet those are the skills combined with the classical skills that are so important right now um, that I'm using professionally. So it's uh, I'm kind of laughing at the, <laughs> the how things just turned out. And I think that the clarity of just saying, if I want to do this, am I walking in the right direction? Right. Yeah. yeah. Just asking yourself, yeah, what is needed for those those jobs that you want to do? And have I been doing it? And and do I like it? <laughs> it, it does it suit my personality? Uh, and then that's been, I mean, I am, I'm so grateful and so happy right now in, in my life feeling like that I'm, I'm doing the little niche thing that is that suits me. Um, and I've found my little path that doesn't have to compete with anybody. I'm just being me <laughs> and that it's it's so freeing and and nice yeah there were there were quite a few years where I kind of lost track of that and I said oh I need to be this um I need to be this straight and narrow path and uh it wasn't necessarily bad it's just that I lost track of the joy of things I've learned this uh just this this saying of it's just it's not an either or equation and I think I, I signed up for this either or, or equation. And when I was in uh, high school, I got a lot of feedback that, oh, you're very musical. Um, we love your musicality. Da-da-da-da-da. You got to clean it up around the edges, though. Because um, I would just go wild on stage and, um, and enjoy my playing. And But I heard that enough. And I wanted to be serious. And so I'm like, okay. So the path forward is um, let's get super serious. And... Um, and to do all the exercises perfectly and do everything everybody tells me, uh, work really, really hard, right? And which was true. And I needed to do that. But I took it as this either or as, okay, if I want to get better, I, I now I just do the serious side. And I left the, the joy and the <laughs> all the inspiration kind of behind. And at this point, it's taken me... I hate to say it's taken me this long, but um, I don't know, uh, about 10 years ago, it started coming back. This combination where like, I can do both. I Now I've got this uh, um, this handle on all the technique and the tone and the, that that I've worked so hard for and the classical training. Combine that with just the, the other side of me that brought me to music in the first place. 
I feel like I can call you a pop flutist because okay. you play backup. Okay. Yeah. So talk uh-huh. about that. Like you're a backup. You, you play with this amazing musician. Talk about that. Yeah. Moody um, blues. Oh, it's fun. <laughs> so I, I think the other uh, thing that's kind of come out of this is I've always enjoyed playing with guitar players and that's been, been a joy in that. So that has kind of led to where I'm at now and things are kind of going in the direction of just uh, playing with a variety of guitar players in all different styles. And the Dustin Hayward of the Moody Blues uh, gig, it, um, uh, Ray Thomas was the flute player that um, uh, was of the Moody Blues. And so I, I basically the, the job came with go listen to what Ray Thomas did and show up being able to play that, uh, all of his parts. That was it. Huh. Um, all of his so, parts were yeah. there. It was singing too. Well, the singing was interesting. So, um, yeah, the first time I played with Justin was oh, like maybe about 10 years ago. Um, I, I played a, um, short concert, but it was up in San Francisco in the Davies Symphony Hall. And um, uh, it was um, uh, actually the San Francisco Symphony Strings were there. And so it was just, oh, so fun. We got to play um, uh, Nights in White Satin with the San Francisco Symphony Strings uh, backing up. And I'm standing there with Justin Hayward playing guitar and just me and him standing in front of the string players. I'm like, this is it. Like, as a musician, I'm in heaven. This is, the, I've made it. It was on that gig that, you know, in rehearsal, I mean, I was like hired and told to, to play the flute parts. And then in rehearsal, it was like, hey, do you sing? And I had learned previously that the answer is yes. <laughs> um, because I'd, I'd lost some opportunities in being like, like oh, well, sort of, you know. Um, do you sing? Yeah, sure. Um, but, uh, uh so yeah, we tried out some some vocal parts uh, uh, that day, and like, oh yeah, that's good. Okay, sing on this part then. And so that was the beginning of of singing and and playing too. I mean, still, I I don't think of myself as as a singer, but again, back to all of high school and singing background vocals and I've sung in choirs and that and harmony girl. There wasn't anything new and and harmonies have always made me super happy. And I've always loved being the person that would just like find the harmony that wherever it is. Um, but um, yeah, the, the Justin Hayward. Um, yeah. So show up, know the parts from, you know, go. Basically, it was like, oh, yeah, go listen to the original recordings and uh, show up being able to play it. Wow. Yeah. And that takes training it does it's a different uh definitely a different approach than than um we'll we'll send you the music and um it's all there for you and and uh make sure you know how to read it of course um but yeah so it's it's can can you listen to it and and um, pick out the parts i love it i picked songs that i love i really enjoy it it's genuine uh, and so because I love it, I was willing to spend the time and it, I mean, some of those solos, like the, um, picking out the a guitar solo, like the end of November rain, um, like it's nuts. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the, like guitar, tons of notes. And if you're just listening to what they're doing, it, it's hard to pick out, like, okay, what notes are you actually playing? And 
Um, and then after that, there's like, okay, what notes are you playing now? How do I do, I do that on the flute? <laughs> and it's just, that's fun. That, that gets into like, okay, well, if I do this, you know, here does it kind of mimic what they do and, and guitars have a lot of bending because they can you know, uh, bend the strings and so you know can I mimic that on the flute uh like you know pitch bending can some of it on all the keys bending pitches some of it just uh you know lip bending and um, so a lot of that but um yeah I mean again it goes back to it's fun I actually describe uh Justin Hayward's music almost I feel like a chamber music and that's my other love is is chamber music. I consider myself more, you know, I, that's why I love the rock and pop and that. But like chamber music has always been a super draw for me. And being on stage with uh, Justin, Julie, and Mike, it feels like chamber music, like the rock version of chamber music. Really, it's all acoustic. You've got two guitar players and uh and a keyboard and julie is singing and i'm singing and but it's it's an intimate little group there's only four of us on stage so there's all, all that sort of non-verbal communication going on and so you get on stage and it's really it's about the music the music takes over and so you don't it's, it's not about yourself as an individual so much and that takes the nerves away too uh, because it's not about you and that's that's another big thing. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. if you think it's all about you, then then the nerves start going nuts. Um, but it's all about the um, the music and the other people on stage and the collaboration. And when it comes to your part, you just do your part because you have to because other people are relying on you. Well put. Well put. Yeah. What's it like being on the road? For me and my classical trio, we go to the rental car agency. People want us to stay in their homes and we have to say, no, we need a hotel. Like, what's it like for <laughs> you in a rock band? Do you automatically get like suites and a big bus? <laughs> <laughs> um, It's, uh, well, okay. I feel pretty spoiled on, on this particular. Um, okay, here gig. we go. <laughs> Well, I, I think it is because I know a lot of rock tours. Yeah, you're on the bus with and it's maybe not a great bus and you're on there with 20 other people squeezed in and you got your little bunk that, you know, they're called coffins that you sleep in. And, you know, you, you play one gig, you, you get on the bus afterwards and you sleep while the bus drives to the next gig. And then you might get a day in a hotel, take a, take a shower <laughs> or you shower at the venue and I'm told that's more the typical touring life. Um, uh, Julie, uh, the, the singer with um, Justin, she's been touring with them for a very, very long time. And um, and she's toured with several other people. And she's like constantly telling me, like, you have no idea. This is good. This is really, really good. <laughs> We've got it good. Four people on a bus? No. So the band is separate from the crew. So there's a full crew and they've been traveling separately then they they have a bus and usually a very very nice bus um and so they're <laughs> uh, there was five of them or so in a very big bus i mean cuz they they work hard they show up you know they're always there from you know 10 o'clock in the morning till you know 2 o'clock in the morning uh next morning setting up and then doing the concert and then tearing down and then get back on the bus with the trailer behind the bus that they loaded all the stuff into. And then they go on to the next uh, location and they're there the next day setting up. 
we as the band travel separately and and stay in hotels and um, usually hub in one city and then uh, drive out to each gig until we've done all the gigs within driving distance and then we'll fly to to the next hub and stay in a hotel and do gigs off there but it's usually pretty nice hotels and um very nice hotels <laughs> food and uh to me it, it life on tour is so easy i mean i don't know if the crew would um <laughs> um uh, agree that their life is a little different i mean somebody else does the itinerary somebody else does tells you i mean i just get told be in the lobby by by two o'clock uh, like i mean all i have to think about is very basic like be there have the clothes that i need and the makeup that i need and, and be ready to play hats off to you um for for being that person who they can rely on because i think you know um it took a classical flute player to have those disciplines i really do so I have a question. Do pop artists really appreciate classical artists? Oh, yeah. Um, mm, that's tricky. Thank God we have Lizzo because you've got a girl who really paved her way in rap. And then her flute playing was disciplined. Yes. Enough to know she can have a separate Instagram account for all us nerdy flute players just to talk about okay. the flute. You see, so she gets it because she yes. was there. So I think, unless you've walked the walk, I don't, I don't know how hard you can talk the talk or even talk about anybody else. Like, just okay. if you don't like, I this is what this podcast is about today. If you don't have the resume, Carmen, if you haven't sat in your church when you were nine. If you haven't at least backed somebody up, if you haven't gotten together with a friend to improvise, what are you doing by saying, I just want to be a pop star or whatever? I don't know. Yeah. Look at all the things that it takes to be a pop star. Yeah. I love Lizzo. Right? <laughs> she's, she's fantastic. And she is, uh, she's got the skills to back it up and, and she's got, uh, she's an entertainer. I mean, she's just following it. And it's so, when you watch her, it's so authentic. And I go, I just, I keep going back to that. It's like, follow those things that are authentic to you, that, that make you excited. I mean, I, uh, she can do that because it's, it's true to her and that she's, um, spent the time to build the skills around it. And so, but yeah, back to your, your question, do pop, uh, artists appreciate players? And I think it's a complicated answer, at least from just my opinion and perspective, but I see a lot of, there's this aloof kind of thing about uh, that I think the general public has an, about classical musicians that maybe we are um, a little, maybe a little stuffy and, or a little uh, unapproachable. Um, we are. We are. It's just our introvert coming out. <laughs> well, yep. I'm not saying that's true. I just think the, the uh, <laughs> We're not aloof. Um, we're nerds. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, this this bridge of like, oh, it's like the the rock world. The, there there is this almost side of things where like it's almost hit me a little bit. Like on stage, it's like, do I hide my classical? Um, do I, 
do I pretend that's not there? Is that going to be too nerdy? Is nobody going to want me on? They're going to kick me off the rock stage if I show too much of my classical. Like, um, <laughs> and and I've been kind of trying to figure out that equation, like how much of my classical can I show? Um, and yet you do it in the right way, and and it's um, like Lizzo, and it's disarming, and people say. Oh, that's so fantastic. I love it. I love the classical angle that you brought in and that you can do that and um uh and combine it with um well for that audience it's more can you combine it with things that that I know and so it makes it more accessible. And not just know, can you play in tune? Well, <laughs> and can you play in time? Can you play yeah. That is uh, I mean Hello. all those the cl- classical training our producer alan j tomasetti is calling it popping off the classical stage popping off the classical stage <laughs> which is what yeah. it is i love i love it when you say am i allowed to show my classical <laughs> I love is that that. Be okay you kept the course and kind of fell into what you loved decided what you loved and now you're doing what you love, but you had to surrender to that instead of that. Remember you discussed the straight and narrow? Teaching has always been a part of, of my path. So it, this has always been coming up. What do I, what do I tell younger students? And I remember having a discussion with uh, one parent once and the student, and the parent standing there and, um, and I laid out some of the realities of things she had, she was a high school student and had these, uh, Oh, I want to be in a symphony. I want to be this and that. And, and, you know, I kind of laid out the path. Okay. This and then that we're already a little behind to getting there. Um, and the mom looked at me and was like, you're kind of a killjoy. <laughs> and I, well, no, I mean, I, I'm just trying to be realistic. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think of myself as a good, I'm, I'm usually the bubbly happy, like, yes, we can no, do it. That but. was the mom who thought everybody needed a trophy. Yeah. And, and that it would be easy and that we just, you know, um, and go through and, you know, because you played in your high school band that you can go on and then you're just going to have this path and you're going to wind up in a symphony one day and it's going to be wonderful and your bills will be going to be paid. Um, (laughs) um, and then no. And, but I was, uh, I was trying to bring up, it was like, is, how much are you willing to work on, on this? And is it your number one joy? Because if it's not your number one joy, you're not going to be willing to work on it. You're going to, and I don't know if I have the, the quote, but basically it takes so much more energy to do something that you are not in, not genuinely into than something that is right and true for you. And if you, and I think that's part of the, the, the equation that I've always thought, you know, when people talk about talent, it's like a lot of the equation of talent is, is that true love of what you're doing and if you've found that thing you're willing you love it so much you're willing to work and then there's the actual like can you do it too but um or do you want to do the work because okay we learned our language we learned the multiplication tables we learned uh how to walk yeah so if you're a musician you must learn the proper tone scales music theory all the things and people just don't realize what all the things are. That's where I come in. So you have really dispelled, I think some myths. We've had some good laughs. I didn't know about the buses. Um, (laughs) I I don't think I could, I could really do the, the 20 
person bus. I have a fear of crowds. So, uh, hey, can I just also shout out a movie that was told? Uh, it was my homework, actually. It was told to me by my mentor at UM Innovation Partners to watch this movie. He said, write this down. Hired guns. Okay. I said, what's that about? He said, it's I about all... It's about all the guitarists and drummers and a couple of singers who have been in so many famous rock bands and played so many famous solos. And you know all those solos, but you have no idea who that person Mm -hmm. is. You don't know their name. Watch Hired Guns. It's the greatest movie. It's so good. My aunt the other day, I was talking to her, it was Christmas with her, and she um, she asked me, and she was like, would you rather be a musician's musician or, and now I can't remember what she called the non-musician's musician. Um, but this, this idea that, that um, and she's not a musician and she's throwing the terms, term out, a musician's musician. And that from you talking about hired guns and like um, those musicians, I think of as musicians, musicians, the ones that can come in and play and you know how to fit into and do what needs to be done. Um, versus, I guess we, what you'd say versus maybe just the entertainer, the one that everybody knows, the one, the you know, front and center, whether you are, yeah, known for your combination of inter- entertainment value um, and that versus just pure, like, oh, musicians value you as just being a musician. Um, yeah. I'm tripping over that last bit of like trying to, because um, I've been trying to define this. I think it's such an interesting term, a musician's musician nerdy have gone to music school mm-hmm. yeah. what's a musician's musician and if you haven't gone to music school you can just certainly hang and talk about key signatures and time yeah, and yeah you know all that stuff all but that's that not stuff. the stuff that the general public says oh i'm so excited that you know what key signature you're in like <laughs> and what times in it oh you're i in. know i know like, <laughs> Nobody cares, <laughs> except us. Us musicians, like, oh yeah, he really knows what he's doing. Um, and and whether you can show up and do the gig um, is has everything to do with whether you know those things too. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, I just really think it takes a, a keen person to hone their skills just in the right direction to put themselves in a position of being hired. Yep. 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 Well, congratulations on what you're doing. Do you have any projects you want to shout out for us to watch for? Um, well, <laughs> yeah, well, I guess watch out for hopefully I um those those videos take quite quite a lot of time and I keep telling myself I've got a few, I've got a few more in the queue of the um guitar solo uh covers. So I'll get a few more of those out. Uh-huh. So yeah, I have a YouTube channel um, called Butt on the Flute. And yes, it's called that. It's kind of funny because everybody goes, huh, what? <laughs> I'm like, guitar Spell solo. that. Spell that. One T. <laughs> but, but on the flute. Like guitar solos. But on the flute. B-U-T-O-N. Okay. We'll check it out. So yeah, see, everybody remembers it. Yep. <laughs> you go hall. So can we um, download some of those uh, solos? Do you have PDFs? Um, I do not. I, I never wrote them out. Okay. I did. So you didn't write um, them out. You're just riffing. 
Uh, no, I, well, I didn't write them out in classical notation. So I transcribed them, but I didn't write like, so I learned them, but I didn't put them into classical notation. I actually feel like those solos, if you put them squarely into classical notation, uh, it, I think I always thought that if I put them in the classical notation, I'm not going to play them kind of with a classical style. It's going to kind of seep in if I'm looking at classical music. So I never wrote them out. I just would write down like letter names and just kind of a rough little um, scribbles of like, okay, these notes are faster than those notes. And that's kind of a dotted rhythm in that um, just for my own memory. But yeah, I did not want to fully transcribe them into classical music because it's not classical music. That is so cool. Yeah. But I get asked a lot about, can you have a transcription? Can I buy this? And I want to give that to people, but I, it's a it's a push and pull tug for me because I just, ah, I, I don't want to write them out because I think it's kind of uh, inappropriate for the style of music. Um, no guitar player would read that off of a off of classical notation. Oh, so, this um, is so cool. This is so <laughs> cool for the nerds. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So no, you want to play that? You have to go in and listen to it and figure it out by ear. And if it's too hard to hear it, you get one of those little slowdowners and they have an app for that. And you, you put the music into that and then slow it down because and, and then you can really kind of pick out those notes a lot easier. That's the trick. That's a, a tip and a trick. Tip and a trick. There you go. That's a freebie. <laughs> Thank you, Carmen. <laughs> I would just love for Lizzo to know how much she's appreciated for that nerdy Instagram account. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's like, absolutely. Anyway, we, she's the musician's musician, don't you think? Yes, she's very appreciated and very appreciated. loved. And, and yeah, she's taken the flute and, and brought it to the awareness of the general public. It's like, oh, oh, cool flute. <laughs> and so, very. Well, thank you for doing the same. And for talking to me and making me aware of some really fun things. <laughs> well, this is absolutely fun. I really love talking to you. All right. We'll talk again. Okay. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for being a Porter Flu Pod. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> I'll take a commercial break here to remind you that the Anatomy of Sound workshop you know and love has found a new home online. It's called AOS-Wellness, and we are here for you as a faculty to provide resources and products for arts educators and performing artists. Join for six months or one year and get our five changing channels every month, plus the back content from previous months. Those channels are wisdom, movement, meditation, breathing, and practice. So after this show, you can go to porterflute.com slash AOS and learn more. You can opt in for our seven-day trial and get access to my popular focus sheet, along with all of the wisdom we're bringing to you from our amazing faculty, only at the Anatomy of Sound. Orchestra of St. Luke's principal flutist Elizabeth Mann is a featured performer in concert halls throughout the United States, Europe, and the Far East. She is a member of the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra, has played principal flute with the Rotterdam Philharmonic Orchestra under the baton of 
Valery Gergiev, and recently recorded and performed as associate principal flute with the New York Philharmonic. She's been principal flute of the Santa Fe Opera, Minnesota Orchestra, flutist of the Dorian Wind Quintet. She's performed with the Boston Symphony and with Yo-Yo Ma's Silk Road Ensemble. Liz has toured the U.S. She's played with Renee Fleming. She's played with Andre Previn. She's played with Jaime Laredo. She <laughs> she gave the U.S. premiere of Sofia Gubaidalina's Concerto for Flute and Violin with Gideon Kramer and premiered a solo piece by Joan Tower and a concerto by Peter Maxwell Davies. I have to tell you that Liz can be heard on more than 100 recordings, including a critically acclaimed CD of Chopin flute and harp transcriptions with Deborah Hoffman titled Reflections. Liz is a well-known teacher in New York. She gives master classes across the country. She's involved with the Orpheus Institute at Juilliard Manhattan School of Music. She teaches at Colorado College Music Festival and she teaches at Manus and she was my colleague at the Juilliard School and she was a student of Julius Baker. Liz Mann, welcome to Porter Flute Pod. Liz Mann, welcome to Porter Flute Pod. It's a thrill to see you, and I'm happy to be here to speak with you. Thank you. I'm going to start this time at the end. (laughs) I'm going to start with the questions that I guess get asked all the time. I I keep saying, if I had a nickel for every time someone asked or told me, I want to play in the movies, I want to play on Broadway, pop music, or some category that isn't the mainstream classical music way, which you and I were both trained in. I could say, oh, it takes years. And do you play other instruments? And do you sing and do all these things? So what should I say when someone says, I want to play on Broadway, or I want to play in Orpheus or St. Luke's or something like that? The New York Philharmonic. Why not? I want to play there, Liz. What, What do I do to get there? Well, you and I being teachers and having had also a performing career, I always say the first thing I always say is um, be good so then you can be lucky. So practice. It goes back to the most basic thing, right? Now you can have a career by who you know and who you meet and maybe you have connections, but at the end of the day, if you can't not play, you'll get found out. I still feel like I'm going to get found out a little because I'm, I I know we're both, we're all hard on ourselves, (laughs) right? But so, so you asked the question starting from the end of, of, you know, right, getting to the point of how do you have a career? The first thing is you have to practice and you have to love what you do. The second thing um, is be open, be open to everything if you want to work. I mean, I got started, I was at Juilliard, as you were, and I got an opportunity to go play in the Caracas Philharmonic audition. I won that job, and I came back, and, and I won an audition in, in Tanglewood, and I was back at Juilliard and seeing people starting to work, and I thought, how am I ever going to get work? I don't know how I'm going to get work. Well, I was given an opportunity to sub and play in something called Dance Theater of Harlem, and 
I went and played in the pit there and the clarinet player next to me said, you sound really great. Tomorrow we're having auditions for the Orchestra of St. Luke's. We've never had auditions. We're gonna hear 20 flute players in New York, but you should come and play. I went and I played and I won. And I won this job and I was, you know, 24. Wow. And, and all I had ever thought, I studied with Julius Baker when I was younger, I studied with James Papatsakis. I never knew there was a New York that existed except for Juilliard. I didn't know there was Broadway. I didn't know about this whole other world of, I guess you can say freelancing, although we as New York musicians don't like to see it that way if we're playing in really wonderful orchestras, St. Luke's Orpheus or playing a show, we see that as something high, a high art form, just as high as playing in one of the major orchestras or any orchestra. Um, so I really was geared as a classical musician from a young man. Orpheus heard about me and they wanted me to play. And then I got offered a movie soundtrack and it sort of went like there. And yet I was being invited to play with orchestras and was, was, you know, get finals here, finals there. And I started getting pulled into this incredible world in New York of variety and learning how to play good rhythm in a pit because you don't learn rhythm being a classical musician. You really don't. Sorry. That's, that's one of the hardest things for classical musicians to learn. Preach, preach, preach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, playing an orchestra, um, that you have to have great rhythm. And, and it's hard to learn that unless you're actually, you know, it's the sickle thing. Well, how do I get work if I don't, you know, have experience? And so it's about keeping your journey of getting better, play for who you can play for, who will listen to you. And then, I mean, just yesterday, somebody wrote me and said, Liz, you know, I heard you're looking for some of the new young flute players to maybe sub around. Um, here's a list of some people you really should hear. So, you know, I'll hear them. Or somebody will give me a cold call. I've never not heard somebody. I, I hear people, um, you know, I, I hear people play. Yes, you do. Uh, do you remember that I called you? <laughs> Wow, now I really feel old. <laughs> no, you and I, you had just graduated with your master's and I had graduated with a master's and you were already in St. Luke's and you were, your best friend was my colleague, Tom Garcia, who's been on this podcast. Oh, and, Tom. and I had zero work. And I remember where I was when I called you and I said, may I have your reject work? And you said, okay. And out of the blue, I don't know if it was you, but somebody called from Westfield Symphony and they needed a principal and Peter Winograd had heard me. He was the concert master. So you put your little recipe together of just play well and, and just be in front of the right person at the right time. And I started my journey in the Westfield Symphony in New Jersey. Did recommend you for that. That's right. And that is kind of how it works. And I never, I never thought I'd be doing this. And I had so many voices telling me, what are you doing with your life being, staying in New York? What are you doing? You're ruining it. You, Julius Baker and my mother. For oh my goodness. So where are you from originally? Boston. And I was 
blessed at one point in my I think early 30s I was invited to play for half a season in Boston and um and I told my mother this might be as good as it gets for you that I'm subbing in the Boston Symphony because I'm probably going back to New York after this and and she said okay but maybe this will help your career that was always her famous line well maybe this will help your career and she said this up until her dying breath <laughs> because wow. she always wanted me to be in the Boston Symphony well mom <laughs> I know so you got it and honestly times were different back when we were growing up or I was growing up classical musicians weren't playing Broadway so much and there became a shift and I think the shift happened partially because it was very difficult to make a living any other way but to have a Broadway show. And so classical musicians started figuring this out. Right. And contractors started figuring this out that they wanted people from the classical world to play these legitimate flute parts because you had, they wanted you. And listen, I, oh my gosh, I revere the the doublers in new york they are some of the greatest musicians and jazz musicians and classical musicians i know and how they go from a saxophone to a flute i'll never figure out <laughs> i took one lesson on the saxophone and said no if i don't make it on the flute it's just not happening and <laughs> it made, made, made my lips feel so funny so i i um but I really didn't do much Broadway. I, my second flute and my piccolo player in St. Luke's had Broadway shows. And they said, would you sub in our shows? And this is, you know, back in my 20s. And I said, okay. And I thought, well, this is really fun. I love Broadway. It's just, I love the variety. Which and, show? Which show? Um, the first show I subbed on was from my second flutist of St. Luke's. And that's Cheryl Hensley, who's played Phantom of the Opera for... I, I should know how many of 30 years or plus, and it's actually closing in, in a couple of months, but she's been the flutist for since ever I remember. And I'm sure she was, she went to Curtis, was seeing, she was going to be a big time soloist, fantastic flutist. And she got this job and she started doing everything in New York. And I think she really fell in love like I did. and like the other flutists I know who have shows, um, they kind of fell in love with the variety of what New York has to offer. But it still goes back to how do you get, how do you get into this, right? How I got my show was that a, and this sounds silly, uh, I was playing a St. Luke's concert in Carnegie Hall and somebody came up to me from the audience and I don't have to mention names, said, but I'm so-and-so who was a big time Broadway contract. And I know you're a classical musician and you don't do Broadway per se, but I have a show coming in and I want to get, you know, um, really good players. And, and I think that you would be wonderful in this. And I didn't tell anybody in St. Luke's Orpheus because back then it was like, oh, she's going to do a show. And, you know, it was a very different scene then. Now it's one of the coveted things to, to get a show. And the level of playing in Broadway now is very different. I don't want to say different. Um, it's just more classical based. A lot of the players have a classical training. Tell us what that show was. Um, South Pacific at Lincoln Center. 
by, um, so it was Rogers and Hammerstein. And I still don't see myself as the showgirl. You know, I did these sort of classical revivals at Lincoln Center and that's amazing because I we know. play that in the orchestra anyway. Right. 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 And it went from South Pacific to King and I, My Fair Lady. Right. And now I'm, I was just uh, offered another show, uh, but it's now it's true Broadway. And, you know, I teach and I'm getting older and, you know, so it, this might be my last blast. And um, but uh, I really have so much fun at these. I really have, I love the camaraderie. I like having a job when I've had these yeah, shows. I'm sure. Well, let's work backwards. Before the shows, uh, you had a not little group called Dorian Woodwind Quintet. Mm, right. Can you it speak was, to that? Sure. It was a similar kind of thing in the fact that my name had started, I guess, back then, getting out a little into the New York scene. I had auditions for this group, the Dorian Woodman Quintet. And back then, they had over 40 concerts a year, which is unheard of for a Woodman Quintet. I know. It was a rock star Woodman Quintet. And you know what? I met somebody the other day at a concert, and they're going to be the new oboist for the Dorian Quintet. And I was so pleased to know that the group was still going after all of these years. You know, the wonderful Jane Taylor Bassoonist started this group and made magic of, of wooden quintets and transcriptions and, and um, uh, commissioning works. Things that people now, is it's more part of the norm. But back then, it was really groundbreaking to do things like this, um, to get your group together, to write grants, to, you know, to all of these things that we were never taught at, at in school. Now they do teach things like this, um, grant writing, and they have courses for this. I'm sure you know. I just really admire, you know, that you were the trailblazer for all of this. Um, what made you decide to leave and when did you leave? Um, so I was in the quintet for 10 years. That's a long time. Yeah, it was a long time. And I just felt like I needed to shift focus a little on what I was doing. And I had, um, uh, I was doing teaching and I was doing other things. And it just felt like it was time for me to move on to something I needed a break from playing in quintet I I just I sort of it it felt like it was the right time for me to leave I felt sad when I left but it, it just felt like it was it was the right right thing for me I had other things going on but I I learned so much about playing with these musicians and playing chamber music and how to listen it's it's very it actually helped people don't realize it helps you in orchestra <laughs> to play chamber music oh yeah for sure but a lot of places outside of New York and the big cities, um, it really everything's about getting an orchestra job, and and being respected if you get an orchestra job, and so I'm I'm here I guess Amy you know to say there is life if you don't have an orchestra job or have an orchestra job or before you know that it's the greatest thing to play an orchestra 
and I still I miss the early days when I played a lot in in big orchestras. St. Luke's, of course, you know, is an orchestra, but I really just um, think that there's so many wonderful musicians doing different things besides playing in an orchestra. And so it's it's to tell the students there are choices out there and directions that you can go in and feel very fulfilled as a musician. Let me take one more opportunity to introduce you to the Anatomy of Sound, where you can do a 34-minute yoga class or several different meditations all for free. You can see more of our content at AOS-Wellness. And if you're on our Porter Flute website, it's porterflute.com slash AOS. Check us out for memberships and products that help the performing artists and arts educators. If you can be the, the consummate performing artist, the one who gets hired all the time in New York City, if you can be that, you have to play at such a high level that you keep getting the call. And that, my friends, does not entail TikTok followers. Yes. I mean, I, I, I well, Amy, I, I've never been very good at that aspect of things. And well, I have so many colleagues who are much better at, at the um, social media yeah. and all of the, that um, work that can be very helpful to you to expose yourself and get known. Um, I was just probably, I think like you a lot, just in the practice room and doing the work and doing playing. And then I feel like I got a little lucky, you know, I got lucky. We, we you have to get a little lucky in this, in this business. And if hopefully if you keep practicing and you keep studying with people and continue, continue to do that, um, you give yourself opportunity because it's, it's, it's not such an, it's not an easy profession. And the other thing to say is that you don't have to be just like your neighbor. You don't just because the other flute player is doing this or did a, things a certain way, don't get discouraged by feeling like that's the only way to succeed. So you have to just start somewhere. Um, again, you can get lucky. You can get lucky at a young age. Somebody can hear you and things can go well for you. Or you can get an audition and win an audition. Um, so it's really about keeping doors open, playing for people, always practicing. And, you know, for me, I went to Juilliard, so I was in New York. So, you know, Ju Julius Baker was recommending things that were in New York. So that that like if you're in a city that has things available to you um that's that's one way it's expensive to live in new york so you'll have to have roommates and, and things like that yeah but there's and i have you know there's lists i mean there's another flutist who's really been playing shows longer than i have and knew she wanted to take shows from a very young age uh, and that's helen campo and i know you know her and um and i was playing with her the other day and she you know, we, we were talking about how we got started. And she she really has, she gets, I think, four or five phone calls, like a week to for people to play for her, to sub in her show. And, she, you know, it's, it's pretty extraordinary. 
there's so much talent out there. Oh my gosh. There you know, is. Now her, her show is Wicked. Her show is Wicked. Yeah. I think she had 10 shows before that. Right. <laughs> now, can you tell us the movie that you, we can hear you in? What movie did you play? Um, I think my very first movie I did was Cape Fear a million years ago, and it had 16 flutes on it and 16 horns on it and 16 trumpets. And I played 16th Piccolo. That was my first movie date <laughs> many years ago. And I mean, I've played on, I think, over 50 to 100 movie soundtracks since then. I don't do as much now as I do because there was a period where there, it kind of dried up in New York. They started going to Eastern Europe where they could record for a lot less money. Um, so it was really LA and then they were going Vancouver, they were going to other places, but it was very expensive to do it in New York. I think now it's been coming back, which has been wonderful. Those studios are coming back. So actually I feel like, you know, some people say, oh, classical music's dying. And it's, there's no way you can make a career now. And there's so many more flute players out there. And it's, and I, I can't always say I've been an optimist, but I really believe that things aren't dying. They're changing, they're evolving, like everything, like we're all evolving in this planet. And so I don't, I don't like to discourage students. I, I, I try to say, if this is your passion, which is what we were told, if this is something you must do and want to do, there are ways out there to be a musician. The more well-rounded you are and the better playing, the more you get known. And as I said, I, I, I don't put myself above anybody as a flutist. Uh, there's so many wonderful flute players in New York, and some of them I never work with and I never see because we all have our little niche of jobs, you know. Mm -hmm. um, there's these orchestras in New York that people play in. And then sometimes, like Helen Campo, we played a concert the other day together. We haven't, we work together one, every couple of years, we work together <laughs> because we're in different circles. But it's really nice to see my colleagues, you know, out there. And 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 so when you say how do you get on Broadway, um, obviously you can always try calling the people who have the shows, but often there's only so many people they can hire. Maybe you can get the road show. That's always a possibility. That's right. But, you know, um, and I think I mean I look at you, Amy, and I, I, you know, just to take a major moment here. I have such respect for everything you've done. I mean, you came from, I guess you're a couple of years younger than me, but from Juilliard and then, you know, having this incredible orchestra life and then having solo career and then just being such an extraordinary influence over so many students all these years. Um, it's just, it's really nice to be able to reach out and see you and just connect. I've really liked doing this um, just to reconnect with you. Oh, it is so good to reconnect with you. And in the beginning, it was love of a person. We both love Tom and that brought us together and the love of the flute. And thank you for giving me my first recommendation. And I have just a little tiny story. I remember going to some of my first flute lessons at Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. And I had to wait out in the hallway for Deborah Carter Smith to finish teaching the student before me. And the student before me, 
oh my goodness, this flute player was playing Tafanel Gobert and etudes and super fast. And I think I was 15 and she was maybe 16 or seven. Like she was also in high school and it was Helen Campo. <laughs> so, and then I get to Juilliard and I meet you. And then I hear of Cheryl Henze. So Cheryl Henze automatically walked on water. You know, when you just hear the person, you don't know them. You just say, okay, I'm putting my flute down right now and listening to these people because they're amazing. You all inspired me so much. Just, I want to thank you back. Like literally, thank you so much. Well, it's, it's great that you do these podcasts. And I, I think a lot of students and flutists would find it sort of fun to hear about and interesting. And as teachers, you know, I just, um, as you said, trying to guide the next, not even generation, three generations later almost, <laughs> of, of flutists um, to find their their path. And that's one of the first things I always ask students is, um, what's your dream? And then let's see how we can get you there. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. Well, it's been great to have you in Porter Flute Pod. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Amy. If you'd like to know more about Carmen Gould, you can visit her at CarmenGouldFlutist.com. That's K-A-R-M-E-N-G-O-U-L-D Flutist.com. Elizabeth Mann can be found on the websites of Manus School of Music in New York City, the Orchestra of St. Luke's, and Orpheus Chamber Orchestra. You can visit me over at porterflute.com or amyporter.com, and on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, I'm porterflute, and aos-wellness.com. Thanks for being here. I'm so grateful for you.